Oh, hello, everybody. <laughs> nice to see you. So on the way, just on the way, I was driving over here, and I just caught up a mate of mine who's a pastor um, down in Sacramento. The guy I went to Regent with just to catch up, say hi. I had 20 minutes to drive over here. And uh, he's like, oh, Palm Sunday, fantastic, Palm Sunday. What, uh, <laughs> what gospel are you preaching from on Palm Sunday, this Palm Sunday, because it's Palm Sunday, on Palm Sunday. <laughs> and I said, oh, I'm actually, I'm actually not preaching a, a gospel narrative of Palm Sunday on Palm Sunday, this, 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 this Palm Sunday. And just dead silence. This is just on the phone. This is just on the drive over here. Dead silence. And he goes, like five seconds later, he goes, I didn't even think that was allowed. Like, <laughs> he, go, <laughs> he said, have you heard of something called the church calendar? And, um, um, and then he said, so what are you preaching? The gene- genealogy? <laughs> Genesis 11 genealogy? Well, should we just get into it, shall we? And just, uh, <laughs> should we just get into it? The kids are learning about it downstairs, so that's fine. All right, so, so Genesis, if Genesis was like this, right, you could, you could break, there's lots of ways to break up Genesis, but really simplest way is break it into two pieces, two pieces, right? So you've got the first bit, 1 to 11, and then 12 to 50. So 1 to 11 is called like the primeval history. So this is the beginnings of humanity, and it's a story painted with a very broad sort of brush, okay? And that's what we've been, that's what we've been looking at these last couple of months, 1 to 11. And then you have 20 to 50. So 1 to 11, and then 20 to 50. And 20 to 50 zooms in on this one family line, Abraham and his descendants. And God's plan is still, still to bless the whole world, still wants to bless the whole world, but God's method has changed. God is going to bless the whole world. He's going to do that through a particular people group, a particular family line. So that's really, really big picture. And what we're looking at tonight in our very last sermon in Genesis for a long time is we're looking at the hinge point, the hinge point between those two sections, between 1 to 11 and 12 to 50. We're looking at the hinge point between those two sections where primeval history ends and the story of Abraham begins. That's what we're doing. So let's begin with the end, this little part of the hinge, the end of primeval history. So you heard it read so wonderfully. Thank you, Melanie. You heard it read, genealogy, another genealogy. And I know, I know you hear them and you're like, oh, genealogy is so boring. But we don't, we don't pass over those things quickly because there's always gold in these. There's gold in that stuff and um, there's always a reason for them. So what's the reason for this one? What is this particular genealogy telling us? Okay, verse 10. Verse 10 says, well, it tells us, right? It's following the line of Shem. Following the, so you remember, Shem, son of Noah, that's the good son. That's the good one. There's Ham, Ham bad, Shem good, right? You didn't write that down. Ham bad, okay. Ham bad, Shem good. So Ham was the one that made fun of his dad. Shem was the one, remember when his dad got blind drunk 
And uh, Shem treated him better than he deserved, and he, and he covered it up. So a good son, good son. So we, it's a line of Shem, 10 generations. And I want to point out a few things from this, from this kind of genealogy part, okay? So one thing you probably noticed is that those outrageous lifespans are getting shorter. Something's going on. Something's potentially fizzing out. Okay, second thing to notice. Verse 27. 27, we get this, the genealogy pauses here. Now, these are the generations of Terah. So we've got to Terah. So we're going bam, 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 bam. All of a sudden, we get to this guy called Terah. Father of Abraham. And it says, um, here are, uh, uh, they're in the land of Ur. You see there, 28. They were li- so this is Terah. It's got a family. They lived in Ur. That's interesting. Gives us a bit more information there. Why Ur? So Ur, father of, so Terah, father of Abraham. So Ur is like um, modern day sort of southern Iraq. You know, Ur was excavated. So we didn't know much about Ur until the early 20th century when it was excavated. And this 1920s, 30s, huge, huge thing. Like a really, really big deal. They just started digging up and they found this whole city and they found tons of stuff. It was a huge deal. Uh, internationally. Agatha Christie actually visited, people would go visit this archaeological site, Agatha Christie actually visited this site and wrote a book inspired by the trip called uh, Murder in Mesopotamia. Factoid. I said murder (laughs) in Mesopotamia. (laughs) Honestly, what is he doing? Why is he here? Why is he here? I don't know. This is gold. <laughs> so rich in artifacts, they found thousands of tablets, like these clay tablets, you know, these are the right things on, describing Ur. And one of the big discoveries was when they were talking about the life, what life was like in Ur, is they discovered that it was the center of worship of the moon god. Moon god. So Joshua 24.2 confirms this. Confirms that Terah... The father of Abraham was really into this. So Joshua 24, 2, and Joshua said to the people long ago, your fathers, your ancestors, lived beyond the Euphrates. Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nabor, they served other gods. Family was totally into it. Now look at verse 31 here of Genesis 11. So Terah took Abraham, his son, grandson, Sarah, and uh, together they left Ur, to go to Canaan, which probably sounds like a good idea. They've got to get out of Ur. Dodgy. Ur's dodgy. Let's get out of Ur. But they never made it. They settled in uh, Haran. So they just stopped. They never made it to Canaan. So what do we know about Haran? Big on moon god worship as well. Now remember, this is supposed to be like, this is the great family. These people are supposed this is... This is the great line. This is the good guys. This is supposed to be the solid family line. Not like Ham. Ham's useless, terrible, right? This is supposed to be Shem's line. And they've lost the plot. They've become moon worshippers. One more really important detail here in the genealogy says in verse 30 that Sarah, Abram's wife. Now, Abram, Abraham, same person, changes his name. It's fine. Okay, so verse 30 said, Sarah, Abram's wife, couldn't have children there. Verse 30, and Sarah was barren, no, no children. So this family line looks like it was coming 
to an end. So what's the big message of this genealogy? Humanity's in bad shape. The family line, this, family, this, this one family line that has been passing down the knowledge of God had become moon worshippers. They'd lost their faith. They couldn't have kids. It was like if it was a candle. It's a candle that's flickering out. So the line of Shem is just coming to a dead end. It's coming to a dead end physically. It's coming to a dead end spiritually. There is no foreseeable good future here. That's the first section of Genesis. That's where the first section of Genesis stops and ends. And it looks hopeless, doesn't it? So what's the next thing that happens? An astonishing act of grace. Chapter 12, 1 to 3. So right now we're dipping in to the very beginning of the next big section of Genesis. Now the Lord said to Abram, into this completely hopeless situation, God speaks. And when God speaks, there's hope. No matter how terrible it is, when God speaks, there is hope. And he speaks to Abraham and he says, leave your life, do that, and I will bless you and I'll bless the whole world through you. That's a big picture. Let's drill down a little bit. God is going to start a nation, a particular people. He's going to give birth to a particular people. Through this one couple, this one line, they're going to bless the world. It's great. Sounds great, right? Sounds great. Fantastic. Here's the problem. The, the couple he's picked, we learn in verse 4, 75, can't have kids, moon worshippers. But God calls them. It all starts from that call. And that's the same for all of us, right? We're all as hopeless as these people here <laughs> without God. This is, this is all of us. We would all here in this room be idolaters if God hadn't called us. We wouldn't be worshipping the moon god. We'd be worshipping sex or money or power or ourselves or something like that. But we would all be idolaters if God hadn't disturbed our life, if God hadn't come into our life and we hadn't responded in faith. Let's keep going. Let's look at the call, just verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Wowzers, that is a big call, isn't it? Leave your country, leave your family, your extended family, leave your immediate family, leave everything that makes you feel secure and follow my call. Leave all of that. Leave it all. And I'll tell you where you're going. If you go 20 miles that way, and there'll be an oasis, and you turn left, and then you go five miles, and you turn right at the camel, and there's the falafel shop. Like, I don't know. No, you don't get any of that. Leave, leave all of that for a place that I will tell you about some other time. So Abram was told very specifically what to leave, but not where he was going. Because the, the really big thing that Abraham had to do first was to disentangle himself from this idolatrous place and from an idolatrous people and hit the road not knowing where he was going. 
see here, God's call is a demanding one, isn't it? God's call is a demanding one. God says to all of us, surrender your life to my will. And that's the call on every disciple since Abraham to this day. God calls you to surrender your whole life to him, not knowing what your future will look like. He says, I want you, for example, um, if you're a single person, God says to you, um, sex is for marriage. Don't have sex until you're married. I can't promise you you're going to get married. You don't know if it's going to happen or not. God might call some of you to jobs which you don't get paid lots of money, where you don't have much. Um, people aren't going to be saying to you, oh, that's fantastic what you do. But you do it because Jesus says, that's the job I want for you. God calls you to places where you might not have a whole lot of security. But he says, just be secure in me. Disentangle your life from the things that are holding you back from me. So, the next thing we see here is God says, I'm going to bless you. You're going to leave these things. I'm going to bless you and you're going to bless other nations. But first, you must be willing to lose things. Unless you're willing to lose things, you won't see that blessing. You cannot be a blessing to others unless you're willing to pay a price. When Jesus saw Peter on the fishing boat, you know this story, right? Jesus saw Peter on the fishing boat. He's fishing, he's got his life, he's got his mates, he's got his thing. He's follow me. Jesus says, follow me. And they leave their nets, they leave the security and they follow him. And Jesus says, now I will make you fishers of men. You will be a blessing to the world, but first, there is a cost. You can't be a blessing unless you're willing to lose things. That's what we learn here. At this point in the sermon, um, it would be tempting for me to tell you a story about super faithful missionaries, you know, living in some faraway place in mud huts for 50 years with no furlough. I'm not going to do that because I think that's too remote. I just want people to sign up for tea and coffee, to be honest. Wouldn't that be great? I need six people to sign up for tea and coffee. I want you to give one hour, once a month, to be a blessing to this community. Small thing. I need six people after the service to see Marion and sign up for that. It's a small cost, but what a great way to bless each other. So that's the call. The call, there's a cost. Now look at verse 2. And I'll make you a great nation and I'll bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, the call is followed up by God saying all the things he's going to do. There's lots of I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. I'll show you a new land. I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you. Your name will be, I'll make your name known. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. I'll protect it. I'm invested in you. I'm going to look after you. I'll bless you and you'll be a blessing to others. God, by his grace, is going to give this family line what the people of Babel wanted. They wanted to be great and God brought them down. And God says, no, if you sacrifice, I'll bless you. But again, 
The blessing has a purpose, doesn't it? The blessing that God wants to give Abraham is not, I just want to give you a great name because that, you know, that'll make you feel good. Because I'll make you great so you'll be a blessing to others. And again, this is the experience of all disciples. God calls us and he reshapes our life, he redirects us so that we ask ourselves, how can I bless others? Folks, when you get, when God has a grip on you and you have a grip on who God is, it changes you into a person on mission. So your life is no longer just about, I want to meet my own needs. So your life is no longer about just your interests or even just your hurts. When you encounter God, it should destroy our consumer mentality. When you encounter God, you should ask yourself, how can I spend myself for Jesus? God never pulls you into himself, into a relationship with him without sending you out in service to others. That's the big story here. I'm going to finish on this. You know, when the... Um, when, when Paul looks back on this passage in Galatians, he talks about this passage in Galatians, he describes it as the gospel. He says, this is the gospel. I'll read it to you. Galatians 3, 8 to 9. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham. This is the gospel. There is a demanding call. Jesus places the same call on you and me. Walk away from the things, the fragile things you put your trust in, and trust me. That's, that's called Repentance. There's a demanding call followed by an impossibly good promise. I will bless you and I will give you what you can't get by living your life just for yourself. There's a demanding call, a great promise, and then he says, I will bless others through you. Folks, you are now on mission. And what will that look like for your life? Give you one idea. There's lots more, isn't there? It's for you and Jesus to work out. But I have more ideas. It's Stan.